Welcome. Hey, it is, uh, it is so, I guess I could say it's good to see everyone, or maybe I should just say it's good to be seen by everyone. But, uh, you know, it's great to have you tuned in this morning. And of course, as Hannah said, we're sorry not to be together, um, but thankful for the ability to be together, not just in one place, but in a bunch of different places. This is sort of our first multi-campus Calvary Chapel Mountain View uh, service. We got campuses all over the, uh, the Bay Area, and of course, even down in uh, Central America. Hello in El Salvador to the Jedlica family who's watching with us. But, um, you know, the truth is that the, the church services had to be canceled. The church itself can't be canceled. Amen? Because we are the church, and we're here, and we're meeting, so church is on. So open up or turn on your Bibles or whatever you do. And um, turn this morning not to the book of Acts, we're going to be back there soon enough, but turn instead uh, with me to Psalm 31. And I actually was working all week in the book of Acts, um, but just Friday night really sensed the Lord kind of directing us in a slightly different direction. And Psalm 31 is actually a psalm that may sound familiar because some of us looked at it together before. Uh, I remember I shared it with the church here at Calvary Mountain View about almost three years ago now um, as a guest. And, uh, but as I prayed, I really sensed that the Lord had something specific again for us this morning from this same psalm. Just a reminder and a, a reassurance, if you will, for this specific time. Now, I know this morning that nobody wants to hear a message about the coronavirus, and this, I promise you, will not be that. But it, it certainly is, it's at times of uncertainty like this, you know, with maybe everyone around us, maybe even some of us are looking for a sense of assurance and we're looking for some sort of uh, a sense of safety. We're looking for kind of a, a stable place where we can kind of retreat, right? We want to get away from those things in our lives that are causing us anxiety and causing us fear and without question as our world um, just generally gets more and more complicated and becomes less and less stable uh, at a time like this when so much of what we just consider to be normal has been interrupted and has been threatened and really it's that that need for a place to retreat that need for a place to find peace becomes more and more necessary. So we all need refuge, but if I could suggest to you this morning, what we need is real refuge. And you shouldn't be surprised when I tell you that precisely this kind of real refuge is described for us perfectly in the pages of the scriptures, and especially in the Psalms. Because if anyone knew uncertainty, and if anyone knew unrest, if anyone knew about changing and threatening unknown circumstances, if anyone knew that need for a sense of trying to find something stable, it was King David. You know, of all the characters in the scriptures, there are few who are as loved as David, and I think that we love David because we can really empathize with him as he endured what certainly seems to be more than his share of testings and of trials. And his words then become for us, they provide such comfort and such encouragement in the midst of the most difficult times that we have uh, in life. So let's pray and just look at Psalm 31 this morning and just really ask the Lord to bless uh, our time together. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you so much 
for providing us with the uh, technology, Lord, to be able to meet together, Lord, even if we're not together physically in the same place, Lord, we know that we're together in your spirit, that we've been united together, Lord, that there's a bond and a unity that we share as we've been baptized into the body of Christ by your spirit. We pray that your spirit would speak to us today, Lord. Help to provide us, Lord. Give us insights into your heart, Lord, and infuse that into our situation, Lord. Um, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 31, again, is one of these Psalms of David, and it was written at a time of great need in his life. Really, Psalm 31, you could think of as a prayer. It's a prayer from someone who was living in desperation, a prayer of someone who was very unsure of what was uh, ahead for him in the future. And so much of David's entire life was spent in this kind of a condition that the book of Psalms gives us these beautiful um, poems, if you will, that grew out of these situations. And as we read them, we start to really understand where it was that this man after God's own heart where it was that he found stability and found peace in times of anxiety. It's very likely that David wrote this particular psalm when he was fleeing from crazy King Saul. He was hiding out there in the wilderness of En Gedi, and at this point in David's life, he had reached the lowest point. He was being hunted. He was being stalked, living like an animal, hiding out in caves, nowhere to turn, no one to trust. He was a fugitive at this point. And so we read David's words. He turns to and he, he cries out to the Lord for help. And he says in verse 1 of Psalm 31, he says, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Now, we know, right, having read the, the rest of the story, we know that God had a great purpose. He had a great uh, purpose of blessing, and he had a great destiny for David. He would eventually become the king over all of Israel. He would become the shepherd of the Lord's people. And yet, watching this man of God, we see him now in this moment of great adversity. Because at this point, he was being put, and we might even say he was being pressed through the crucible of testing, really to prepare him for what it is that God had planned for him. And as we make this observation about the life of David, it should sound familiar because when we look at his life, when we look at his words, we see that we are studying what is actually the experience of each and every one of us as Christians. Because as believers, the Bible says in Romans 8 that we're heirs of God and we're joint heirs with Christ. And this is that great destiny that God has planned for each and every one of us. And it's only in the fulfillment of that that we find happiness and we find contentment. But the, the fact is that in order for that to be fulfilled... God uses trial, he uses tragedy, he uses uncertainty and anxiety, as Peter said, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. So this period of persecution in David's life was a very important part of his preparation for the throne. He was already at this point a great soldier, but now he needed to spend some time and suffer in the wilderness, mainly so that he learned not to trust in men, but that he could only trust in the Lord. And in the very same way, when we go through these kinds of wilderness testings of our own, they bring us closer to the Lord. They make us better equipped to serve him. Now, I will admit that our individual times of testing in the wilderness probably don't look much like David's did. I don't know that any of us are running regularly from a madman, and yet they're no less effective, are they? They're no less effective in the way that the Lord uses them to shape that godly character that he has in his heart for us. Oftentimes, they're very personal times of testing, right? When we're, some of us, no doubt, are dealing with situations in our life that are very personal, and yet they can also be, in a more corporate sense, they can be very circumstantial, right? As we're faced with some kind of a crisis that we're trying to navigate that's completely out of our control. It's not something that, that we created, but it's much bigger than our ability to, to remedy or to remediate. And these are times of great uncertainty. And yet there's one thing that we can be sure of is that nothing is ever wasted in God's economy. And God is using even this present situation, he's using it to mold us and he's using it to shape us and he'll use it to develop us. And in the, in the very truest sense of the old expression, we can't run from it but we can trust him in it, and we can trust him to bring us out of it. And further, we can also trust him to grow us through it in just the same ways that we've experienced that he's done before. Because I love right here in these opening words in verse 1, what we sense is that because David had tasted and seen in the midst of other difficulty that the Lord was good, now he can encourage us as well that we should be seeking after the Lord in difficult times. We should be crying out with him. Like, look what he says at the beginning of verse 2. He says, bow down your ear to me and deliver me speedily. So David knew, based on his past experience with the Lord, that he could trust the Lord to hear him in this present situation and deliver him and provide for him to have a future. Now, David was learning, really, that he needed to look outside of himself for deliverance and defense and for refuge. And so he's crying out to the Lord. And I know for us, whether it's emotionally or physically or spiritually or circumstantially, you know, we've said or we might be experiencing it now, we can struggle, right? We need refuge. We need a place. But for each of us, I think where the problem comes is while we know that the scriptures talk about refuge, rather than seeking refuge in God himself, most often, if we're honest, what we'll do is we look for refuge in God's ability either to work things out the way we want him to work things out or to get us out of whatever it is that we're in the midst of. And we pray prayers like, okay, Lord, you can see this problem all around me. Now just don't let it affect me. Get me out of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Right? 
And I suspect we probably all are very familiar with when God says no to this kind of prayer. And God says no because the fact is that he loves us so much that instead of always rescuing us from the trial, so often what he wants to do, as you know, is he wants to work with us in the trial. Because what those trials do is he tenderly and gently exposes the weaknesses of our thinking. And then what he does is he tenderly and gently, you know, mightily exposes in their place his own strength. And what these times really do is they force us to examine our hearts about where exactly it is that we think we find refuge. And like David, God allows us to get to that place where we have no other choice but to look outside of ourselves to quiet that upset that we feel is inside of ourselves. And when we finally can do that, when we finally look for a place of real refuge, I think that what we find is very interesting. Because as we look through the Bible, we think we know exactly what we're looking for in our special place of refuge. And usually it has something to do with a beautiful garden setting, or maybe it's a quiet waterfall, maybe it's a mountain lake, or maybe it's like this image here. This was the number one search result on Google when you look for refuge. Now, it could be the huge word refuge that was right across the picture, but what we're so often looking for, I think, is we're looking for a place of serenity and of beauty that's going to provide us with peace. We're looking for a place of quiet safety where we can flee from the things that are going on in our lives. We're looking for some sort of a Thomas Kincaid painting, or we're looking for a, a beautiful picture on a Christian calendar, or maybe we're just looking for somewhere that we saw on Groupon getaways, right? But the, the reality is that real biblical refuge is something very different. Because notice the way that David continues in that very same verse, verse 2, he'd said, bow down your ear to me, deliver me speedily. Then he pleads with the Lord. He says, be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. Now, what's interesting is that most Bible refuge passages don't include those quiet, hiding, serene places that we expect. But most of the refuge passages in the Bible contain very active battle images. And what this reminds us, I think, is that real biblical refuge is never an escape from reality. It's not an escape from our situation. It's certainly not just having a positive Christian attitude and putting some kind of a Christian spin on a bad situation. But real biblical refuge is finding our peace and our rest and our retreat, our refuge in the Lord, not out of the battle, but really in the midst of it. It's not being removed from the effects sometimes of tragedy or of sorrow, but it's finding the Lord even in the remains 
and the rubble of it. And I know this is easier said than done. We all know in some abstract sense that God is a refuge. We all rightly encourage one another to take refuge in the Lord. We all quote scriptures that say God is our refuge and our strength, Psalm 46, a very present help in times of trouble. We may even remind ourselves from the same psalm that God is a mighty fortress and that into which we can flee. And while we might have these truths underlined in our Bibles, we might know them in our heads. Of course, it's a very different thing when we actually apply them to our hearts. And when we have to do that during a time like this, when we're all feeling a little bit exposed and vulnerable. And so we need, as David does, we need to know these truths experientially, right? We need to know them in our hearts and not just in our heads. These truths need to really become personal to us so that we can say with David in verse 3 that you are my rock and you're my fortress. Now, I love what Spurgeon says in his commentary of the Psalms about this verse. He said, it is but poor comfort to say the Lord is a refuge, but to say he is my refuge is the essence of consolation. Now, to make God our refuge, for him to be our fortress, we need, of course, to know him in a personal way. And God, the, the Lord of the fortress, he loves us passionately. He desires to have a real relationship with us. He wants us to enter into that refuge. And so in his mercy... He's provided this bridge for us to get to him. It's not at all like a drawbridge to a castle, but that drawbridge, of course, is a person. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul talks about our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So Jesus is the drawbridge that completely covers over that moat of our sin and allows us to enter in to that refuge. Now, certainly I know that probably many, if not most of you who are tuned in today are already saved. And yet it's so often in the midst of a trial, the midst of a time of testing, that we simply forget those very simple truths of the gospel that first saved us. That's why, you know, Paul encourages the Colossians. He says, as you've therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And when you think about it, most of us came to him with nothing to offer but uncertainty and anxiety and maybe just a little bit of faith to really trust in him in the face of it because we had no other choice. And that's exactly the way that he would have us to continue to walk with him. Because look what David says. So verse 3, he says, you're my rock and you're my fortress. And then at the end of there, he says, therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. And what I think is interesting here is that whenever we look to the Lord for direction, ultimately, he always points us back to himself. Right? Because as soon as we sort of crossed over that drawbridge of faith, finally we arrived home. Now remember, we said that the Bible said earlier that this great destiny is that we're 
heirs of God. We're joint heirs of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and we're members of the household of God. And here's the implication of this truth in kind of our fortress illustration today is that this fortress, this fortress of refuge isn't just a place that we run to, but instead it's meant to be our home. Now, I remember years ago, before we had our kids, <laughs> when Michelle and I were blessed to be able to travel through Europe and we visited the city of London, and we toured around in the Tower of London. And of course, it's this huge fortress-like castle that dates back about a thousand years. And I'll never forget when we first entered in, as you crossed over that drawbridge into the castle, even though the tower is located nearly in the heart of London, it's right on the banks of the busy Thames River, but that sense of security that you feel when you're standing within those castle walls, there's a sense of peace and there's a sense of calm that you feel once you're inside those walls and it's amazing. And this is exactly the place where the Lord would have us to live each day, every day, all day. And you see, what's interesting is that these castles, right, just like biblical fortresses, they were military strongholds. They were built for defense. They were built to provide protection in a time of siege. But they also were places of ordinary, everyday day-to-day -day life. There were military barracks and there were these intricate defense systems, but there were also civilian living quarters. There were gardens and kitchens and stables, hospitals and reception halls and chapels, the king's chambers, of course, and all of these things existed there side by side within the fortress. And what that means is that people lived and worked and they loved and they laughed within the protection of those castle walls. Everyday life and everything that that included took place in a place of refuge. And this, so it's when we begin to understand this and when we see that God has portrayed himself as a refuge, he said that in his word to us, so now our picture of refuge in him really should begin to change. And we see that refuge isn't just some silver lining. It's not an escape from life, but it, refuge occurs in the midst of life. And just the same way that it was possible for King David so many years ago, real biblical refuge is possible for us. Even within just the everyday pace and the problem and all the pains that we deal with in modern day society, even in the wake of tragedy and confusion, and especially in the face of some kind of an uncontrolled, uncertain kind of a health crisis that we're facing right now. And because when this place of refuge is where we constantly live our lives, right, in this place of refuge in Jesus, whether it's in good times or in bad times, when we do that, we can proclaim with Paul that if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? 
We can declare with David, like it says there in verse 4 in our text, we can say, pull me out of this net which they've secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. And I love this because, you know, just in the same way that those castle walls provide protection and security, even in the darkest and most remote corners of the fortress, in the same way, God surrounds and shelters and protects not only the things that happen in our everyday lives, but he's there especially to protect us in the darkest hours as well, wherever it is that we find ourselves. It's like when David wrote in Psalm 139, he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And so often I think that we fail to experience real refuge in God because we really don't understand real refuge. Right? We think of it as some sort of circumstantial comfort or like we said, an escape or a relief from our everyday responsibilities. But what we find in the pages of the word and what we see in the example of David is that refuge isn't at all a physical place to which we flee. It's not immunity or necessarily even protection from hardship. It's not the, the ceasing of our individual pressure or activities. It's not even necessarily something that we take from God. It's not something that God gives to us but real biblical refuge is an experience of the very presence of God. And that regardless of our circumstances, that's the thing that really provides our soul with rest as we trust in him. And this is what leads David to say in verse 5, that into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. So it's in these times of difficulty, we really can entrust in a very concrete way everything we are to this God who loved us so much and has redeemed us. These are the words, of course, you know, that Jesus quoted himself in his very darkest hours before the cross. And we, too, can entrust ourselves in that very same way to that very same God. Think of it this way. When we each first sort of stepped inside those walls, right, when we first crossed that drawbridge of faith, we all experienced the initial aspects of refuge in God. There was that initial sense of relief and of comfort and of renewal, and there was a, a peace that we'd never known before. There was a sense of provision that we'd never experienced before. But that experience really was just a taste of what was ahead further within, right? Further within where our very souls would find rest and peace it, we've been talking about in the midst of the things that were going on. You see, the truth is that to experience deeper refuge, we need to venture further into the fortress. And it's these times of uncertainty and confusion and anxiety that the, these are the times when our journey really moves from those outer regions of the things that God can do for us to the inner recesses 
of who God really is to us. And it's when we get to that point, we start to really trust that we can commit our very spirits to him, that he will care for all of these things. And we're not just seeking refuge in the concept of God, but we've really started now to take refuge in the character of God, right? Storms have this beautiful way of driving us to seek shelter. And so we need to allow those storms in our lives to really drive us on. And that's kind of the gift of storms. They drive us from those comfortable outer regions inside the fortress. They drive us into that sheltering keep of the person of God. Now, let me explain that. In an ancient fortress, the castle keep was this large square building, and it was usually two to four stories tall. It was supported by these thick, impregnable walls, and it was found deep within the fortress, usually on the, the top of a high hill. And what would happen is that when the castle came under attack, or when there was a siege, the castle dwellers, in particular the family of the Lord, would run inside this keep for defense and for safety and for hiding. And it was usually made of stone, right? It was like a, it was like a mini fortress within the greater fortress. This was what David talks about, a strong tower of refuge. And interesting, looking at castles, looking at history, what we find, not surprisingly, is that this castle keep was only as reliable as the foundation on which it was built, right? If it was built on sand or dirt, this sturdy structure could often be flooded from underneath, or enemies would even tunnel underneath to get into it. If the foundation was wood, there are accounts where the enemies would catapult burning tar onto the wood. You know, they'd shoot burning arrows and they'd set it on fire and of course it would all collapse. And yet if that foundation was cut out of rock, if that foundation was carved out of stone, then it provided this sort of a, a, an unchanging and a stable shelter. Now we know the Bible repeatedly refers to God as our rock. Again, we find true protection for our faith. We find shelter for anything that could come against us within that rock-solid nature of God. And this is why, as we're reading now together through the Old Testament, this is why we're seeing that God goes to such great lengths to make sure that we really know what he's like that we really know what his character and what his nature are like. And we remember, we've all just read recently through Exodus chapter three. We saw God called and he raised up Moses to go to Pharaoh and to demand the release of the, uh, of the Israelites living there from their Egyptian bondage. And remember that Moses hesitated at first. He says, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now we know that in the Old Testament, a name was more than just a title. But a name in that culture was an indication of someone's character or of a particular quality of that person's nature. And the language experts tell us that the way that Moses questioned his word specifically tells us that he wasn't simply asking what to call God. 
what he was inquiring about was the character of God. What that name revealed about his character. We see that God said to Moses, what? I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am that I am. Now this is that name where we get what theologians would call the tetragrammaton, right? It's those four letters, Y-H-W-H, which we, of course, pronounce Yahweh or Jehovah, as it's often translated in our English Bible. Sometimes it's translated as Lord. It actually comes from a Hebrew word that means to be or being. And so in its simplest sense, it simply means the one who was and who is and who will be, the one who is self-existent. In fact, another way that you could translate I am that I am is the becoming one. And all of that to say that God is declaring to Moses, and I believe that he would declare to us this morning, that he becomes to us whatever it is that we might need at that time. And I think that if we think of him, if we know him in this kind of an intimate way, we realize that he will become whatever it is that we need from him today. And in fact, as you look through the Bible, through the Old Testament, there's a number of these beautiful compound names for God, right? They're all coupled with Jehovah. And most of them we see come out of a specific historic event, and they show some special aspect of God's character and his ability to meet human needs. And the point here is that the infinite God has made himself infinitely available to every one of us anytime we need him. Each time we can run into that name of Jehovah and be safe. And this is so important because remember what Jesus prayed for us. He said that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And then Paul to the Philippians summed up the great goal of his life is that he might know him and the power of his resurrection. And so what God's done is he's given us all of these powerful Old Testament passages that all reveal a different aspect of who he is, some unique aspect of this inner sort of place of shelter and safety in his character. We think about so the different names of God, Jehovah Makadesh, the Lord who satisfied, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, Jehovah Rohai, the Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Rophe, the Lord who heals, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord my companion, and Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. So God is everything that we need and our protection not from the storm, but in the midst of it. No matter what it is that your personal or particular storm might look like this morning, it could be financial, it could be re relational, it could be some sort of consequences that you're dealing with, or it could be circumstantial. It could be the coronavirus, right? Because God is bigger than all of that. And look quickly with me, the next eight verses, David's going to tell us specifically what it is that he's running from. He says, I've hated those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. 
I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you've considered my trouble. You've known my soul in adversities and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You've set my feet in a wide place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief, yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I'm a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And I'm repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. It's often said, David was a man of great faith, but he was also a man of great sorrows. And he found himself in the most troubling situations, right? Like David, like James says of Elijah, David too was a man with a nature just like ours. David wasn't some sort of super saint. David was prone to anxiety and prone to fear and prone to worry. He was a man who looked around and cried out and wondered why. But David was also a man to whom the Lord had revealed himself. And David was a man who was learning in the face of this kind of trouble to just commit his soul to the protection, you know, to find his refuge in the Lord. And look what he says in verse 14. He says, but as for me, he says, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let, it, let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. So it was during all of these intense wilderness testings that David had learned about the Lord, he, learning that the Lord would be the one to be his refuge. And what a powerful change we see in these last few verses from all those verses we read just before it. And keep in mind, there had been no change at all in David's circumstances, but just in his understanding of God. He had strengthened himself in the Lord. David was learning to entrust these times to the hand of the Lord. He was coming to understand the character of God and to take his consolation from that. And so as we come to understand him, just like David did, we too can say, look, verse 19, oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man, you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. So real refuge is nothing less than that very presence of the true and living God. And as we read these verses, keep in mind, finding shelter in the character of God, it doesn't necessarily mean that the sun's gonna start shining and that the rain's gonna stop falling, but 
finding it in that, that keep or that shelter of the biblical character of God, that's that place of protection for our hearts. And the storms absolutely are going to continue to rage, but our hearts, just like David's did, now we can really rest in the loving faithfulness and the sovereignty of God. Now, this is an absolutely unique and an unprecedented situation. It's an unprecedented time for most of us, right? Many of us, it's kind of become a time of a forced rest, at least as, in terms of our schedules and our activity. And yet, ironically, what can happen is that with the decreased activity actually comes an increase in our anxiety. Because whether we're working from home or whether we're not working at all, all of a sudden these threats seem to be looming larger. And all of those routines that typically brought us comfort have been taken away from us. And yet we see that this is such a blessed time that the Lord is using in each one of our lives. Maybe he's reprioritizing the importance of families. He's reprioritizing the importance of our faith families. And he's reestablishing that connection that we so desperately need with one another, especially when we're faced with not being able to have it the way that we usually have it. He's using this as a time really to recenter and to refocus our attention on him. And he's using it as a time to reveal the real weaknesses in all of those other previous places that we've tried to find refuge. And, you know, as we're forced this morning, maybe before the Lord in our hearts, ask ourselves these kinds of penetrating questions. What is it that I've been building my confidence on? What was that foundation that I've been using to support my sense of well-being? Or where has it been that I thought my faith was really grounded? I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a British preacher. Um, he said, if our quietness of heart depends upon any individual human being, even upon our family, our home, our profession, our money, our health and strength, he says, we are doomed to disappointment. And the truth is that all of these are unreliable shelters. All of these things ultimately are going to collapse in the face of struggle. And it's only that keep that's built upon the truth of God's character, the way that he reveals it to us in his word, that's what's going to prove to be a reliable and a consistent place of peace and protection. That's the thing that's going to keep us in that place where we can then be used by him to really offer hope and comfort to those around us who haven't yet come across that drawbridge of Jesus. Right? When we run into that mighty fortress of our unchanging God and when his character alone becomes what shelters us from our storm, that's when our panic really starts to turn to peace. That's when we can say with David in verse 21, blessed be the Lord for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. Now I think there's a final thought in these final verses that I think is well worth considering. So stay with us because I, I don't think you're going to want to miss this because 
in these castles that we've talking about that we've been talking about in medieval days the people who lived in these castle fortresses there was a certain sense of confidence they had when they looked up and they saw the banner that would fly above the towers of the castle because the castle's banner displayed the Lord's crest. It signified who owned and who it was that really ruled that castle. And so that banner reminded the castle dwellers of their Lord. And at that time, he was the one in whom they had placed their hope for protection and for their provision. And their confidence wasn't in the banner itself. Of course, their confidence was in the one behind the banner. And when they would look up there and they'd see that banner kind of waving above the fortress, it assured them that their Lord was still reigning. They found hope and they found a sense of rest in their king. In that same way, it's when we develop that confidence in the Lord of the fortress that that's when our sense of hope, right, really real biblical hope is born afresh. And in fact, that the very last of those compound names of God that we see in the Old Testament is Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is our banner. Now, there are plenty of things in our lives, right? We've talked about them that would cause us to seek refuge. We want protection from those things that are threatening us. There are plenty of places that all of us may have cultivated over the years where we've tried to get away, where we try to retreat. And for some, it's drugs or alcohol or it's hobbies or projects or it's isolation. For some people, it's a fantasy world or hard work. Right? For some people, it's different programs. For many of us, it's material things. Right? It's comfort or it's convenience or it's consumerism. For so many, it's the add to cart button on Amazon. Right? And these are all places where we can all go to try to deal with our problems. And yet the Lord of the Fortress says, come home. Right, the Lord of the Fortress says, hey, come find protection under my banner and find protection within my walls. He says, find protection deep within that keep of the shelter of my character. It's, the, it's just like when Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart you will find rest for your souls. And he says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then we answer with David. Read with me verses 22 to 24. It says, for I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. For the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Now, I'm not sure where you might be personally with your level of concern over the coronavirus. And yet what I am sure of biblically is that the Lord wants to take that concern from you. He wants to do that as you draw near to him. He wants, I think, that we all really learn
to live our lives in this constant place of refuge and that we do it each day, we do it every day, we do it all day, not just those days like these days when we're faced with all kinds of anxiety and all kinds of uncertainty. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the, uh, for the assurance, Lord, that your word provides to us. Lord, we thank you for your strong character, Lord, that becomes a place of refuge for us, Lord. And for each one of us, Lord, we pray, um, Lord, not just during a time of testing and anxiety and uncertainty, Lord, as we're experiencing now, Lord, but that this particular time, Lord, that you would use it to help to, to push us, Lord, from those outer regions of the fortress, Lord, deeper, deeper into your character, Lord, where we truly find our rest, we find our refuge, we find our hope, Lord, in your character. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this time, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.